Welcome to Audit Bites, the show where we give you bite-sized chunks of information and education to help you excel in your audit career. Join our host, Robert Berry, as we tackle another tough auditing topic this week. Hey guys, look at that. You caught me jamming out to the music. I kind of like that intro music. Don't know what anybody else thinks about it, but I really, really like it. All right. Welcome to episode number five of Audit Bites. And today's topic, are you still not assessing the aftermath? Audit Bites is the first, the very first live show where we talk about auditing topics. And it is available on your favorite podcasting platforms. And guess what? For a small fee, you can actually get CPE for just watching me. Go to auditbytes.com for more information. Again, today's topic, are you still not assessing the aftermath? Now, some of you are wondering, what in the world is he talking about assessing the aftermath? Well, if you're one of those people who are wondering what I'm talking about, then my friend, you missed episode number one. Episode number one, you see, I talked about what happens when someone just disappears. From an organization. And no, I'm not talking about a kidnapping, but I mean, depending on where you live in the world, I could be right. But what happens when there's an employee at the organization who's trying to warn you that something is wrong and then all of a sudden they're gone? They're trying to tell you that something is not right. There's something illegal, unethical, or immoral that is happening. They're here one day and they're gone the next. Now, in that episode, I talked about a company that was wrapped up in a scandal with the federal government. They terminated a lower level employee. After that, the federal government actually investigated and found that those that were above her not only condoned, but sanctioned the activity and the government fined the company. They fined them a lot of money. And this young lady is now suing for wrongful termination. Now, my assertion is that auditors should assess the aftermath and the fallout when someone is fired or when someone just leaves. You see, the terminated woman had no authority in the organization. So my question was, did they terminate the right person? Now, in that episode, I gave you some tips on what to look for in the aftermath. Look at who is gone. Did that person stand to gain something or were they simply trying to maintain something? You see, the people that the federal government eventually got, they had something to gain. They got bonuses. The person that they terminated did not get any bonuses. She was simply trying to maintain her job. So what I said in that episode is look who has something to gain versus someone who has something to maintain. That's when you'll find who the real culprit is. Go listen to it. There's a whole lot more in there, but I'm not going to rehash the whole thing. So what am I talking about today when I ask, are you still not assessing the aftermath. Well, what I'm talking about today is something, well, a little bit different from that episode. You see, what we're talking about today is what happens when auditors are the ones who actually disappear. They're just here one day and they're gone the next. And the question that you want to ask is, who is the real problem? You see, auditors have a very tough job. You're asked to evaluate what's happening in an organization, but that also is the same organization that pays your salary. 
So what happens when you find things that they don't agree with? What happens when you find things that are illegal, immoral, and unethical? You see, in these situations, well, certain things typically happen to those auditors who find things. You might see that their authority is oftentimes undermined. Oftentimes their budget is taken away. Staff is reduced. And sometimes, yes, sometimes auditors just disappear at a snap. But in situations like those, the question that I ask, who is the real problem? So in order to answer that question today, we're going to talk about the Office of Internal Auditing at Western Washington University. Now, let me just say before I get started, I'm not here to make fun of anyone or to disparage anyone. These are stories that are readily available in the news, and we have a certain set of facts that we're going to discuss. Now, when I say we're talking about the auditors there, we're not talking bad about the auditors, not at all. We're presenting a case that I'd like for you all to think about as internal auditing professionals. So you guys ready for it? What I'm going to do is take a pause for the moment and recognize some people that are here. We're on about a seven second delay. So what I want you guys to do is if you're ready for this, type into the chat. I am ready. Let me know that you're ready to hear this story. And now I know we've got a lava here from Nigeria. Man, it's what time is it for you, man? You're always here. I appreciate you being here. But uh, do you sleep? People ask me that a lot. Now I'm asking you. Now, Benita Lee, B. Lee is here and she says auditors have one of the toughest white collar jobs. Respect. Respect, B. <laughs> no, I mean, our, our job is very, very tough. Um, and we're going to talk about some of the reasons why I think it's tough and some of the things that we have to go through and some of the things that we need to be ready for. And Pozo is here and Pozo says that she is ready to hear the story. Now, you guys hear me say this a lot, but it's because a lot of this stuff is unbelievable. But you're going to hang on tight for this one. This is a wild ride. After this is over with, send this one to all of your friends because this one is this is just unbelievable. Like, anyway, just truly unbelievable. All right, Hussam is here and he says, I am ready. Katlego, hopefully I said your name right. If you could connect with me on LinkedIn, send me a voicemail pronunciation of your name. I think getting people's names right is very important. It's something I like to do. And if I'm saying that wrong, let me know. He says he's ready. See, I knew it was pretty late for you over there, man. Well, not really. I guess what, at 6 p.m.? Uh, so yeah, not too bad. All right, guys, here we go. Diving right into this story. And it's a barn burner, as they say, in the southeastern region of the U.S. All right, so what you're looking at is a screen print from the online newspaper in Washington. And if you read the headline, it says, Culture of Fear at Western Washington University after auditors fired, prompting lawsuits and resignations. So let's just talk about this. The Internal Audit Office at Western Washington University is tasked with investigating a lot of things, like much of us are. But it became the epicenter of firings, lawsuits, and even a police escort from a board of trustee meeting. This was after one former auditor sued, claiming that he was pushed out 
over an audit of a former president's travel. The university settled with this individual to the tune of $216,000. Now, we're gonna call this person auditor number one. Auditor number two, his successor, well, earlier this month, well, I think that was last month now, uh, anyway, is now suing the university as well for alleged retaliation and wrongful termination. You see, after auditor number number two, auditor number two is claiming that she was fired after completing contentious audits, some of them surrounding the use of ghost courses and some other things that I'll talk about shortly. Now, so that's two chief auditors that have left the organization. Shortly after that, the remaining auditor also resigned. Now, the remaining auditor actually talked to the newspaper and said that there was, that the terminations created a, and I quote, culture of fear. Now, it gets even better. A longtime administrator in the organization who actually confided in the auditors that something was not right. He actually retired after seeing all of the shenanigans. So let me recap just really quickly. You had auditor number one, who was the chief auditor, who brought up some things that, well, really weren't that popular. He's no longer there. Auditor number two had two contentious audits, and now auditor number two is not there. Another auditor that worked for auditor number two saw the shenanigans and said, you know what, I'm leaving this place. Spoke to the newspaper and said that it created a culture of fear. And a longtime employee who confided in the auditor that something was wrong decided to retire. Now that sounds like one big cluster you know what, if you ask me. But here's what I wanna do. I wanna ask you guys, from what you've heard so far, what do you guys think about this situation? And again, we're on about a seven second delay. So what I'm going to do is go back to some of the comments and read you guys' comments and give you a chance to type in what you think about what I just said so far. Nicola is here. Hey, my friend, what's happening? Nicola says she is ready. Ready, ready, ready. Now, Pozo asked a burning question. Was that a voluntary or an involuntary retirement? Pozo, you, my friend, a great auditor. We'll get to that probably a little bit later. Um, there's so many other questions that I would have too, Pozo. And I know you're probably sitting there just typing away talking about, oh, there's more, there's more. But yeah, there is more. Heather says she's a little late, but here. Heather, hopefully you heard the synopsis that I just gave on the story that we're about to dive right into. And Heather, why are you late? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I am just joking. By the way, Heather, have you gotten your shirt yet? I'm showing that it should be there on the 14th. Heather won some merch. If you guys want to see some good audit merch, go to my website, thatauditguy.com. I have shirts that say, I love audit. I love compliance. I have masks. I have stickers. I have other snarky audit shirts available for you guys. And Bonita is saying a cluster, you know what? Yes, it is. Yes, a big cluster turd so far. Okay, so I see that we're up to speed and everybody understands what we're going to talk about now. Let's go into a few more details of this particular case. 
audit director, number one, was hired in 2014, and he lasted less than a year. In a lawsuit, and I actually read the lawsuit, in a lawsuit, he claimed that the then president of the university resisted an investigation into his travel expenses. So now, guys, if you don't know, in the in university settings and in a lot of companies, it's quite customary that annually you audit the CEO's expenses. Um, you know, it's just it's one of those things. Thankfully, I never had to do it the places I worked because quite frankly, if a CEO is going to steal, it's probably not going to be in the travel expenses because they know that it's going to be audited anyway. And when you have your purchase cards, you can see all those transactions. But but anyway, he said that the president and CEO resisted an investigation into his travel expenses. Now, he's saying in the lawsuit, he said that it found a hundred and twelve dollar expense submitted without a detailed receipt and that the president pre prevented him from discussing that with the board of trustees. All right. So let me put a pin in that for just one moment and say something really quick. If you go back to episode number three of this particular podcast, some of you guys may know I do, too. There's one called The Friday Fraudster, where we talk about fraud on Friday, and that's me and Joe Irvin and Kelly Paxton. Tune in this Friday. And then there's this podcast, Audit Bites. Episode number three, the title was Why Clients Can't Stand Your Reports. And one of those reasons was because you might be reporting irrelevant issues. So let me just say, $112 where there weren't any receipts, I don't know if that rises to the point of being reported to the Board of Trustees. However, Let's not lose sight that he said the president tried to stop him from reporting it. That's the big thing. Now, audit director number one also says that he resigned under the threat of termination. We're going to talk about what that looks like in organizations in just a minute and why that should always be a red flag. Now, in the following years, audit director number one was escorted from campus in protest because there was a closed audit committee meeting, which he believed should be open to the public. And then, then he sued the university for wrongful termination. So let me talk about this for just one moment. For those of you who work with public companies, you don't have to deal with this. But if you work for uh, an organization that is funded by the federal government, such as a university or a local municipality, your board meetings and audit committee meetings and things like that are usually open to the public. All 50 states have rules that say that under rare circumstances can you have private meetings. Normally, that's if you're discussing someone's good name and character. So if you're discussing a specific individual, like someone suspected of fraud, you can do that in private. But most of your meetings should be held in the public sphere. I worked in higher education for 15 years for two separate organizations. I experienced these public meetings at both places. So now, regarding this lawsuit, Auditor director number one is alleging that the president and CEO of this university actually changed the agenda of the audit committee meeting without telling him. Therein lies a huge problem. So let's let's just wrap all of this up together, right? So audit director number one was working there. He audited the CEO's expenses, found some things he didn't like, wanted to report it to his board, to the audit committee, well, like he should have. You know, if there's something that needs to be reported. Allegedly, the CEO changed the audit committee agenda. They told this man, either fire, either you quit or we're going to terminate you. He quit. He came back subsequently to some board meetings and became upset 
because some of those meetings were behind closed doors. Now, whether they should have been behind closed doors or not, we can't say because I don't know what they were. Again, all 50 states have different rules, but under certain circumstances, you can have closed door meetings. Is that an anomaly? Yeah, it is. Like normally your board meetings and subcommittee meetings are out there in the public sphere. So based on what you guys have heard so far, I'd love to know what you think. Now, Hossam says, sounds familiar when auditors challenge the big shots. <laughs> yes, Hassam, that sounds very familiar when auditors challenge the big shots. But isn't that kind of your job? Your job is not to necessarily challenge. Your job is to assess the situation in the corporation. Now, the news that you report back could be good news. I don't have any problems with an audit report that has nothing on it except for, hey, we looked at this and all was well. Or it could have some issues on it. But you're not challenging them. You're just a reporter who is telling the truth, whatever that truth is. Okay. So with that said, hopefully everyone is up to speed because now we're going to move on to the next audit director, audit director number two. Now, Hassam is saying truth. He agrees with what I just said. Yeah, but I get your point because that feeling is like you're challenging them. You're not. They want you to feel that way so that you can feel bad. You shouldn't challenge authority. That's when the mental manipulation comes into play. No, your job is not to challenge them. Your job is to be constructive. Your job is to find the truth. Your job is to report whatever it is that you found. So anyone who makes you feel like you're challenging them for reporting the truth, look at what, what's happening. Because there's some underlying thing that's taking place right now where they're trying to mentally manipulate you into doing something that you probably should not be doing. See, no one else is going to give you this real and raw content on internal auditing or even external auditing. That's why you should tune in to Audit Bites, the best doggone live show for auditing on the planet. If you agree with that, type I agree into the chat for me. See, here's why I ask you guys to type into the chat. Let me give you guys a little clue of what I'm doing. I want some audience interaction, but what I do is I go back and I look at who's engaging and I select people at random and I give them things. So I may give away CPE or I may give away a t-shirt. That's how Heather won her T-shirt that is not there yet. Heather, it'll be there. I think the 14th is the date it's supposed to get there. Okay, so now with that said, let's talk about audit director number two. Audit director number two was hired in 2017. Now, wait a minute, you guys. Before I even go any further in this, we should see a problem here. The last audit director was hired in 2014, didn't last a year, but the next one was hired in 2017. What happened in the interim? Who was manning and managing the audit department? Okay, very interesting, but let me continue. Now, audit director number two was hired and there was also a new president and CEO at this organization. So wait a minute, audit director number one is gone. There was another president there. We have audit director number two and we have a new president as well. Ooh, this isn't looking good if we're talking about culture in an organization and its ability to keep people around. See, there are things that we can audit without actually, quote unquote, auditing. There are things that you can do just from observation that give you red flags that something is not right. And auditors should always be cognizant of these things. All right. So now. This audit director, audit director number two, had two contentious audits. One of the touchy topics surrounded how they reported crime statistics. 
the potential fines and penalties for what they allegedly did wrong could mount to millions of dollars. So let me explain to you guys what ha what's happening here. There is something called the Clary Act. The Clary Act requires all colleges and universities in the U.S. to report their crime statistics on an annual basis. Those crime statistics should be disclosed to the public and they should be reported every October. So if you have a child, a cousin, a niece, a friend, anyone or nephew who's in college, go look at the college's Clary report. It should be on their website. It might be titled crime statistics or something like that. This was a law passed after something tragic happened at a university years ago. And it's it serves as a disclosure to parents as far as the crime that occurs at a particular college or university. So now, allegedly, this university falsified some of the numbers that were in their crime report. This auditor found it and put it in a report. Now, hmm. This became a problem for that auditor. But I'll tell you what else happened in this situation. The university actually hired a third party, another consulting firm, to come in and review this area. I actually read that report. This consulting firm confirmed what the auditor said. So let me just stop right here for one moment. Whenever you see an organization come in and hire someone else to come in and review the work that the auditor has done, most likely it's because they're opinion shopping. Because if your auditors are truly professionals, they're credentialed, they've been doing the work for a certain period of time, they know what they're doing. If they've shown you the evidence, if their work papers were good enough to show you the evidence, why do you need a third party to come in and tell you the same thing that you've seen with your own eyes? Now that reminds me, some of us are horrible at work papers. So if you're horrible at work papers, go get my book, Creating Wonderful Work Papers. Yes, I wrote a book about doing work papers. I also have a course dedicated to teaching you how to do better work papers. Want to know more about it? Email me. All the details aren't on my website for that course yet. I'm doing it next month for a private client. And it's been battle tested a few times. But after we get it through this client, we're going to release it to the public again. So. It's called Creating Wonderful Work Papers. So again, my question is, why do you need a third party to come in and review something that the auditors have already done if you saw the work papers yourself? Because you, I mean, either you reported the statistics wrong or you didn't. Now, back to what I said earlier, this third party actually confirmed what the auditors found. How do I know? Because I read the third party's report. This newspaper in Seattle did a great job of obtaining actual documentation. So let me go back to you guys really quick before I move forward. Pozo says, interesting to consider reasons for a gap in a role being filled. Some organizations claim budgetary reasons, but it could be to fraudsters going rogue. My man who's some is, man, many boards lack the experience and qualifications. So this is why. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. And I'm assuming you're saying this is why they hire another third party to come in and look at what the auditors have just done. Some things are just kind of black and white, you know, but 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 it got worse for audit director number two after another audit occurred. And let me say, the more serious audits you do, the more your job could be in jeopardy if you especially are in a senior role in an audit department. This is the stuff that they don't tell you for telling the truth. You could actually get in trouble. That makes no sense. But again, it got worse 
for audit director number two after she reported on a possible financial aid fraud. So let's dig into this one. The registrar told the auditors at the university that there was possibly a fraud with ghost courses. In other words, courses that weren't real courses. That's pretty bad, right? Anytime, anytime you put ghost in front of something, you know it's got to be bad. Ghost employee, ghost courses, ghost, I mean anything, space ghost, I don't know. Casper the friendly ghost, well, okay, Casper's a friendly ghost, right? But Slimer in Ghostbusters wasn't a friendly ghost until the second Ghostbusters, I guess. Hmm. Maybe ghost isn't bad all the time. <laughs> but no, seriously, seriously. <clears throat> The Office of Internal Auditing found that even that was pretty true. So here's what the auditors said in their report. They concluded, and I quote, that faculty and staff engaged in these activities for the benefit of students without considering the financial or academic implications of their actions. And then they actually categorized this as fraud. So the, they had created this course for students you know what, before I tell you exactly what they did, let's, let's just continue on through some of this first. So now here's what the, the university did when the auditors released this report where they said what I just quoted. The assistant attorney uh, provided legal counsel to the university and disagreed with what the auditors said and sent an 11-page memo to the auditor's office. Now, audit director number two is also suing the university, and in her complaint, she said that the assistant attorney attempted to dissuade her from reporting this fraud, as she called it, I'm going to say alleged fraud, to the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Inspector General. So what happened was audit director number two did this audit, found some things that she considered to be fraudulent, and decided to report them to the Department of Education's Inspector General. Okay. So the attorney who represented the university also suggested that audit director number two edit the report and not use the word fraud and to say that they used filler courses and that the use of the filler courses was not a systemic issue. She wanted her to not say it was a systemic issue because the law there said that if you thought something was a systemic issue, you needed to report it to the Office of Inspector General, the federal government. So what audit director number two did was call the federal government and say, hey, look, Here's what I'm facing. Do you think this is fraudulent? The Office of Inspector General wrote back and said, and I'm quoting this now, this is definitely fraud and must be reported. Now, let me put a pin in this right here real quick. I don't know how you can just listen to someone's story and say that this is definitely fraud. So, but to the point, you everything is alleged until it's proven. So if this auditor had enough evidence in her hand where she thought that something was fraudulent. I think you have every right to report it, especially when you're dealing with the federal government because the federal government has whistleblower laws that say, if you believe something is fraudulent, you should report it. We will investigate it and we will make a final decision. So why would you dissuade someone from turning in evidence to a federal agency if you didn't think you were doing anything wrong? Why would you be opposed to evidence being shown. You shouldn't be. So anytime someone dissuades you from reporting any type of evidence, something is wrong. All right. Now, faculty and administration at this organization were upset at the language in the report. 
And they were also upset at the fact that this audit director number two reached out to a federal agency. But the chief auditor said that reaching out to federal agencies was something that was normal. Now, here's what I want you to pay close attention to here. This didn't say that they were upset because they didn't do anything wrong. This didn't say that they were upset because they were being falsely accused. This said that they were upset because she actually just reported it to them. Pay attention to the language that people use when they talk. Now, now I'm going to read some quotes directly from people at the university. A quote from one of the faculty members said, no one was intending to defraud anyone. That's what they told the newspaper. Now, here's the second part of that quote. Whether or not what they were doing would be considered fraud in the eyes of the law, certainly they weren't walking around thinking uh, we're getting away with something. Again, they didn't attack what was done. They attacked what was done to talk about what was done. Something's wrong with that language. Pay attention, auditors. So now, I read all the evidence that the news station collected, and it was a whole lot of emails, just a whole lot of stuff. And in some emails, actual staff members at the university referred to the course as a ghost course. Like, literally, the, the staff members there referred to it as a ghost course. Okay, so anyway, as we continue on this story, three months later, audit director number two met with the then president, and he had two documents for her. One was a settlement offer for $82,000 representing six months salary and benefits if she resigned and released all claims to the organization. Here's what that means. You sign a non-disclosure agreement where you agree that you won't say anything bad about them. Or the second letter was a letter of termination. So now, because of all the evidence that she had and the two audits that she presented, they had two choices for her. Take this $82,000 or resign. What do you guys think audit director number two did? If you can type it into the chat for me, I would greatly appreciate it. So while I'm here, I'm going to take a moment to catch other people up who may have arrived late to the party. What we're talking about here is a situation where what happens when your auditors, poof, disappear from an organization. We're talking about Western Washington University in a case that you can look up the information just like I did on the Internet. They had one audit director that was hired in 2014. Apparently, he had some issues and then he left. He was only there for less than a year. Three years later, they hired audit director number two. She had two very contentious audits. One was actually proven that she was accurate in what she was saying because they hired a third party to come in and review the work that she had done. <laughs> I think that's comical. But anyway, the second one was uh, some information that came directly from an insider, someone who worked for the organization. And well, from the evidence that I've read, there is smoke. There's a lot of smoke. I read a lot of emails and a lot of other things. And she was given a choice, either resign or take some money. So that's where we are. Now, Alaba says, something is wrong. That's straightforward. Pozo gave her guess. She walked out without accepting either offer. Well, I mean, you know, with the second one, she didn't really have to accept it. I mean, termination is termination, right? But, but yeah, I get your point. You know, I had to poke fun at you, Pozo. Is that my man Hussam again? Yes, Hussam says, did the charter support the audit director to report the federal uh, government when needed? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. But 
do you really care if the federal government has a law saying if you see certain things, you should report it? Now, Lori is here. Hey, Lori, you're here again. Lori says, my guess is they signed the agreement for the money. Well, my friends, I like those guesses. I like those guesses. So let me say, Pozo, you were kind of close. She refused the settlement. So she was terminated. And in her lawsuit, she is seeking economic and emotional damages and reinstatement of her job and expungement of negative comments from her personnel file. Now, let me just say right here, I understand you want your money and all that other good stuff and you want this stuff expunged from your file. But why would you want your job back? I'm not criticizing you. I'm really just asking the question because here's what this says to me. Audit director number one left under similar circumstances, and there was a totally different president there. Audit director number two, you, left under some bad circumstances, under an entirely new president, and then someone who actually worked in the organization in the administrative arm left because they were upset because they told you the truth, you investigated, and I'll get to what they said. Like, well, never mind. Let me just get to that here. That registrar heard what had happened and retired early after more than 25 years of service and talked to the newspaper and said, and I quote, it was disheartening that another good, effective professional was dismissed in such a surprising fashion. He also said, and I quote, fixing what the audit came up with is not difficult. It means that good, hardworking, honest people made a mistake that are correctable. Or I'm sorry, made mistakes that are correctable. So now, you really want to go back to a place that has told you and shown you that something is wrong in the culture. And again, I'm not saying that everyone there is corrupt. So some people from that university may say, how dare you call us corrupt? You guys know how I feel about how dare you people. Listen to the words that I'm saying. Audit director number one left under contentious conditions. You, audit director number two, left under circumstances that weren't that great. A third person decided to retire and said that it's upsetting and disheartening that a good person, you, a good person, left under those circumstances. Something is wrong in the culture there. All right. I'm going to <clears throat> leave that there and continue on. There was also another auditor who was working there and who had been working there for 10 years. That person left in May of this year. It does not appear, according to the newspaper, that they have replaced that position either. So my friends, let me go back to you guys. So Heather said, I would have quit and then sued them for wrongful termination. That's what she's doing, Heather. Yeah. Now, is this Hussam again? Yeah, Hussam, you're showing up as LinkedIn user, so I'm cheating over here on my phone so I can see that it's you. If you're not connected with me on LinkedIn and you're watching this, connect with me on LinkedIn, especially my audit professionals. You guys know I love you all. Um, Hussam says he would have done the same thing. Heather says, why would you want to go back? Right, Heather? Right. Because here's the thing. There are probably a lot of good people that work there because normally, even when you see a corrupt culture, it's usually only a few people, a minority of the organization, and many of them have power and authority, and they make it bad for everyone. So anyway, one day remind me 
to tell you guys about the story of when I worked with someone uh, who had worked for WorldCom after the collapse. She was the nicest, sweetest person ever, but she was afraid that that organization would taint her ability to get a job. So anyway, um, Laurie says, good. I assume the worst, but glad that I was wrong. But I agree with Heather. Why would you want to go back? Now, Alaba says, that kind of job, I don't need it again. <laughs> so, you can't do that, man. You can't inject comedy into my show. I got to keep a serious face for the podcast replay. Okay, seriously, let me see if I can read this. For the podcast listeners who don't get to see it. <laughs> Alaba says, that kind of job, I don't need it again. Reinstate, then quit again. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, <clears throat> that's awesome. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. So now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you guys three things that you should look for if you're a brand new auditor in an organization, especially if you're a brand new audit director. Three things that you should look for. <clears throat> and then if we have enough time, because I don't want to keep you guys too long, but then if we have enough time, I'll show you one of the emails that call this course a freaking ghost course. Anyway, whatever. All right. So when your auditors disappear at an organization, if you're a new auditor coming in or if you are bored, bored, you should be watching this show. Seriously, you get the real deal so that you understand audit committees. You should be watching and listening to this show because there are a lot of things that I'm going to say that most people just won't say. All right. So let's talk about that. When auditors disappear, the first thing you need to do is check prior reports. As soon as you step into an audit department, look and see what were some of the things that they audited in the past. Look at the results. Look at management responses to the things that happened in the audit reports of the past. I can tell you some people who look at audits that I've done in the past at organizations, they're going to be like, <gasps> and then at some organizations, you can see how management responded in a very good fashion. And you're going to be like, oh, that was pretty good. Awesome. And then in other organizations, well, <laughs> but check those prior audit reports because they give you a clue to the kind and quality of audits performed. But it also gives you a clue to management in these organizations. Again, one of the worst audits that I had ever done in my life was at an organization that was really, really good. I mean, one of the best run organizations I've ever worked for. And when you look at the way that they responded and the way that the issues were handled, as a matter of fact, we worked together to make sure that the things were cleaned up. And that's the way it should be. Auditors and management should work together because your goal is to improve the organization as a whole. There's no us against them. But when you see environments where there is an us against them, why? Most of the time, it's not going to be auditors who are the antagonistic ones. Now, why do I say that? I'm glad you asked. What do the auditors have stand to gain or to lose? If we write a report that's truthful, what do we stand to gain or lose? Nothing really. If we write a report with lies in it, what do we stand to lose or gain? Nothing unless it's proven that we're liars and then you lose your job. But if factually what you're writing in a report is true, then what's the issue for you? So number one, when auditors disappear from an organization like that, check the prior audit, uh, check the prior reports. That'll give you some clue as to the kind and quality of audits that they've done. 
Second thing you want to do is look at the audit committee contact and engagement. I said earlier that audit director number one was upset at this organization because he tried to go to an audit committee meeting that he thought should have been public and it was private. Okay, well, if you work for a governmental agency, most of your audit committee meetings are public under unless certain conditions are met. Let me throw that caveat out. So when you look and see that the audit committee meeting minutes are only a short little paragraph and there's no meat in them, what's happening at those audit committee meetings? Is that audit director being stifled in what he is delivering to the audit committee? Is he being told, he or she, being told, keep your audit committee update to one minute? Hmm, that should be a red flag that something is wrong because you've checked the prior reports. Now you see this one bad audit report. Now you're checking the audit committee meeting minutes and you're saying, wait, you guys didn't even talk about this? Because notice earlier in this story, audit director number one accused the president of changing, accused, I don't know if it's true or not, accused the president of changing his audit committee agenda. He had something he wanted to talk to them about and he was stifled and silenced. So if you're going into an audit shop, Actually, during your interview, if you're a chief auditor, you need to be asking to look at these things so that you can understand the culture within which you are about to immerse yourself in. Check the prior audit reports. Look at the audit committee contact. Now, my third thing that I'm going to say, what happens when auditors disappear and the things that you should be worried about and concerned about? Inquire with the clients. And I'm not talking about the other executive members of management. You've already talked to them during the interview. You've met them clients that the audit department directly dealt with, talk to them. If you notice in this particular story, it was an audit client, the registrar in this organization that went and reported something to the audit director that seemed strange. Why? Because he trusted that that audit director would actually look at it objectively. That audit director found that something was indeed wrong. But then what happened? The management at that organization came down on that audit director for reporting the truth that was actually reported by a fellow colleague, a non-audit colleague. So what does that tell you? That tells you something strange. That worker should have been able to go to his or her direct supervisor, who was a member of executive management, and say, hey, something's not right. This doesn't look right. We need to look into this. They trusted the auditor more than they did the member of management. Now, here's what happened after that. That auditor was presented with two choices, either resign and take this payout or you will be terminated. Now, the employee who reported this thing to the auditor was so upset that he decided to retire early after 25 years of service. Inquire with the direct audit clients that that auditor or those auditors had been dealing with in that organization. That's when you will hear the real story. That's when you will hear the truth. I can tell you there are countless number of times that I've had audit clients want to meet with me just to discuss some issues. They wanted to meet with me outside of work so that it was private. They've actually told me that they feared for their safety. And by safety, I don't necessarily mean physically, but I mean their job. I've had some slide little envelopes under my door. There's nothing worse than walking into your office on a Monday morning and you stumble over a little brown envelope that someone has slid under your door. So go talk to the audit clients and figure out what were the quality and quantity of audit engagements that were occurring before you got there. So audit bites. 
your number one show about live show about auditing. It is a podcast too. Send this to all your friends. You can see the visual podcast on my website that that auditguy.com or auditbytes.com. Probably by midnight tonight, I'll have this episode up and ready to be viewed on my website. Or you can come back to my LinkedIn profile and see it. Or if you just want to hear me, because I know, guys, sometimes it's hard to look at this face, right? Sometimes it's just a little hard. If you just want to hear me, go to your favorite podcasting platform. We're on Spotify and all those platforms. So I want to know, what do you guys think about this case that we've just presented? What would you have done if you were presented with this situation? Some of you guys are typing some things, so let's go back. Pozo says, is that audit guy going to offer board training in the future? Asking for a friend. <laughs> Pozo. I cannot confirm or deny. You know what? Here's the thing. You wouldn't really take it from me. No company would hire me to do board training because you would get real stories like this. No, I take that back. Let me say this. Companies who really want board training probably would hire me because you would get real stories like this. And Leslie is here. Leslie says it's hard to change the us versus them mentality. 100% Leslie, but think about it. In this story, it truly wasn't an us against them, really. because. You had people who worked for the organization who were going to the auditors to tell the auditors what had happened. So it was kind of an us and us against them, the higher ups, because this stuff is wrong and we want to see it fixed. That's the sad part about it. You have individuals in your organization who blow the whistle all the time. What happens, though? They are retaliated against for telling the truth. Why do you think we have to have non-retaliation policies in organizations? If it never happened, we wouldn't have a policy speaking out against it. It's happened. Alaba says, when, cult, when, when the culture is the culprit, it's difficult to add any value. The problem is that it's difficult to know all these bad cultures from the outside. Exactly. Which is where my three points came into play, though, right? You look at those things beforehand, they'll give you some clue. Auditors need to be more discerning because these, these things here, when you look at them, like, for example, audit director number two wants the job back. I get it. You get good pension benefits and all kinds of things. I'd probably sue for more money. Seriously. I, why would you want to put your physical and mental health at stake in an organization that has shown you through two different presidencies that somewhere there's some corrupt element that you haven't gotten to yet that's still there. Hussam again says, I was talking to an audit committee recently and the members told me they don't have any experience. Then they asked, how can we make sure we don't harm the internal audit function? I asked, We do to be, what do we do to be knowledgeable? Really respected these guys because not many audit committees would admit that they don't have any experience. Yeah, well, and, and here's the thing too. I will tell you, I have trained audit committees in the past. I have certain presentations and, and, and you know, seminars where I lay out, here are the expectations. 
for you as an audit committee member. Here's some of the questions. I remember I had this one audit shop that this one audit shop that I was the chief auditor of, and I did a presentation to the audit committee, a work, uh, uh, I'm sorry, a, a work group session where I told them all the things that they needed to ask me. Here are all the things you need to be asking me. Write them down. And if I can't answer these questions with, then you know that there's a problem. Um, and so they began to ask me those questions. Oops. <laughs> Sorry, I got a little tongue tied there. But yeah, audit committees need training too. There's certain things that they should be on the lookout for in the organization as a whole, from the audit department as a whole, and you should be training them on the things that they should be looking for. You should be open and honest in your training to them. So you guys check this out now. If you like Audit Bites, you'll probably love my boot camp. It's called the Ask Better Questions Boot Camp. It is nine hours, nine weeks, 18 hours of CPE. Um, it is about how to ask questions while auditing. It's called the Ask Better Questions Bootcamp. Want to know more about it? Go to thatauditguy.com backslash bootcamp. Again, I love it when you guys comment because I will look at the comments and I will start to give away certain CPEs. Here's the other thing. If you really like this show, go to my website and sign up for our mailing list. Sign up to keep in touch with us. Sign up to keep in touch with us. Why? Because, well, I give away CPEs. Why? Because I give away valuable audit information. I'll shoot you an article every once in a while where I summarize a topic, kind of like I did here today on the Audit Bites show. So, again, Audit Bites, episode number five. Are you still not assessing the aftermath? What happens when auditors disappear? Three things I want you to do check the prior reports. Number two, look at the audit, audit committee communications, and number three, inquire with your audit clients. They're going to tell you what they thought of the past auditors. They're going to tell you what happened when they reported something and it got investigated. They're going to tell you the real story. That is, if they trust you. So now, are there any topics you guys want to see me cover? shoot me an email. Better yet, if you have a news story about internal auditing that you'd like my take on, shoot me that news article as well as what your takeaway was on it. And who knows, maybe I'll bring you on as a special guest, right? Sounds like fun, huh? So thank you guys for coming out. If you like the show, auditbytes.com. This has been episode number five. Are you still not assessing the aftermath. Until next time. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Audit Bites. If you want to do more, see more, be more, check out our website at auditguide.com where you will find quality training, audit merch. Yes, we have hats, shirts, and other apparel, as well as past copies of this podcast and the Friday Frogster podcast, www.thatauditguide.com. Thanks for joining us.